0: Well, good morning, bell Shoals family. My name is Corey Abney and I uh, serve as the lead pastor here. I want to welcome those of you with us here in our Brandy campus and those of you who are joining us online from all across the country and even places around the world. I'm so happy to be back with you after a few weeks of sabbatical and uh, it's been a very productive time, but there's no place like being right here uh, back at bell Shoals, and i um, just so very happy. My family's so very happy uh, to be back uh, today and uh, just bear with me the next couple of weeks. It's uh, it's kind of a crazy few weeks. I've uh, I've got a, a, a camp speaking engagement next week uh, that was booked a couple years ago, and then I'll be back the week after. And then the week after that, i taking two of our children to college, where I hope they never come back. And. Uh, We're hoping this is it, and uh, get them off the payroll. That probably won't happen, and then uh, we'll be all in, certainly for the fall after that. So it's kind of a crazy season for my family right now. I know some of you are uh, experiencing the same types of dynamics with uh, school about to start, whether it's uh, elementary, middle school, high school, or even college, and kind of getting back into a routine. Um, it's, it's a crazy time of year, but I'm so grateful to be a part of the Bell Shoals family, grateful for how God is moving. And uh, as we've talked about earlier in the service, literally we are seeing just this month, hundreds upon hundreds of people coming to salvation through members of Bell Shoals being willing to go overseas to share the gospel And uh, we've got teams all over the world right now, as you know, and we just praise the Lord for his kindness to us. And um, I I just think this is, I don't know, I think it's the best church in the world. Okay. So if you're new to Bell Shoals and you know some other churches that are pretty great, just buckle up, just buckle up. And I know I'm biased, but uh, we, we do praise the Lord for all that he's doing. And I'm excited about Uh, our current teaching series called Interruptions. We're talking about just moments in Jesus' ministry when he was interrupted. And we have the record of these interruptions recorded for us in the scriptures. And some of these interruptions are incredibly profound, profound moments that don't appear to be profound when they happen. And and today we're gonna talk about a moment When someone was ghosted, do any of you know what it means to be ghosted? Okay, let me explain it to you. Some of you are, how can I put this delicately, a little closer to death than others. Okay, and um, you don't know what it means to be ghosted because you grew up with telephones with cords attached to them. And, of course, we don't live in that day and age anymore. So today, of course, we all communicate by cell phones. And if you're my kids' generation, you don't even communicate with the app that has the telephone on it. That's annoying and antiquated. When I call my kids, here's how it goes. I I dial the phone. I'm expecting to hear it's, yeah. Dad, why are you calling me? Just text me. I'm calling you because you're a fellow human being who needs to learn to communicate with other human beings with words. <laughs> That's not how, you know, the younger generation rolls. Okay, and so let me explain this to you because I know some of you don't know what it means to be ghosted. Here's what it means to be ghosted. You're messaging someone and, and you're, you're, you're chatting with them. You're, it, maybe it's Facebook Messenger, maybe it's Instagram, maybe it's a text message, okay? that most kids also don't use, but you're messaging and all of a sudden they go silent. There are even features now, you may have noticed this, where you can see on your phone that they've left your messages unread. Have any of you ever noticed that? And that's actually a super cool feature for people who annoy you. Just leave them unread. And then when you see them in the grocery store, hey man, I'm messing. Oh dude, I didn't see that. Which is code for, I don't like you. In fact, if there's someone in the room today that you are currently ghosting, would you just go ahead and point them and Just tell them, just, let's just go ahead and just let them know you are weird. I don't want to talk to you, right? So so to be ghosted is to uh, be communicating with someone and all of a sudden they go silent. They're not texting you back or messaging you back. You can even have these moments where they've left or you've left messages unread. And today we're gonna look at a moment in Jesus' ministry when he left someone on unread. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt like Jesus has ghosted you? Now, don't give me a church answer. Don't give me the vacation Bible school answer. No, it's Jesus. No, let's just keep it real here today. Can we do that? Let's keep it real. You ever felt like Jesus has left you on unread? You ever feel like there's been a crisis in your life, a tragedy in your life, a hardship in your life, and you've prayed, you've asked, you've called out, you've begged, you've pleaded, and there's no answer. And you may never say this out loud in your life group, but you feel in these moments like Jesus has ghosted you. He's left you on unread. You've prayed to God and you've asked him to heal your body like you've seen him heal others. No answer. You've called out to God and you've asked him to mend your broken marriage. It's still broken. No answer. You've asked God with tears to intervene in the life of your child. You've seen God do it for others. He's not yet done it for yours. You've called upon God to heal that broken relationship in your life. You've you've asked for his wisdom in navigating a difficult situation. You've told him you're willing to work and you don't understand why you've been laid off. But yet there's still no answer. And it feels in that moment that Jesus has left you on unread. He's ghosted you. And today I, I want to talk about an interruption in Jesus's life where we're going to see this. He leaves someone that he loves and cares very deeply about on Unread. And I want you to know today in those moments when you feel like God is not answering and God is not responding. And and as you're praying and you're calling out to him, the only thing you see in your mind is the word unread. I want you to know that that your father actually does hear you. He does care about you. and, And you're not the only person in human history who's felt that way. And I also want you to know today, this is our key takeaway. I encourage you to jot this down, that God's delay often precedes our deliverance. God doesn't always answer right away. He doesn't always hit us back. He doesn't always respond as we prefer him to do so. Sometimes God's delay precedes our deliverance. And we're going to look at an interruption in Jesus's life toward the end of his earthly ministry that involves some very dear friends of his, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. We find it in John chapter 11. If you have a copy of God's word, turn there with me. Here's what I want you to see in John chapter 11, a hinge chapter in the gospel of John that positions us in the last two weeks of Jesus' earthly ministry. Now, for those of you who love John's gospel, I know many of you do, here's how you need to understand John's gospel, okay? The first 10 chapters of John's gospel covers three years of Jesus' earthly ministry. Now, just think about this. 10 chapters cover three years. Starting with what we're looking at today, Through the next 10 chapters of John's gospel, he covers two weeks. John dedicates the same amount of time to the last two weeks of Jesus' earthly ministry as he does the first three years of Jesus' ministry. And the tipping point for what leads the Jewish elite to arrest and crucify Jesus is what we're looking at today. This is the tipping point. This is what accelerates the arrest, the trial, and ultimately the crucifixion of Jesus. This moment right here in his life, as Jesus is just outside of Jerusalem and his friends, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, are in a town called Bethany, about two miles outside of Jerusalem to the east. It's not very far away. Jesus is in Jerusalem Martha, Mary, Lazarus are in Bethany and here toward now to the very end of his life on earth, he is interrupted with the following message. Let's look at it together beginning in verse one. Here's what John tells us. There was a man named Lazarus who was sick, like sick, sick, like critically ill, not like he has the cold or the flu, like he tragically in an untimely manner has encountered a critical illness. He is sick, sick, sick. And he lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. John reminds us, this is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet. And he wiped them with her hair. It's her brother, Lazarus, who was sick. All right. Let's look, look, look at verse three together. Here's what happens. So the two sisters... Send a message to Jesus. Here's the interruption. Jesus is just outside of Jerusalem. He's ministering not far from where he was baptized by John the Baptist and, and and he's interrupted. Here's the interruption. There's a message given to him, sent from Martha and Mary. Here's what it says. Lord, your dear friend is very sick. Literally the one whom you love is very, very sick. Notice the urgency here. It's not Lazarus is sick. Like, like Martha's like, hey guys, would you go run and get to Jesus? He's He's just outside Jerusalem. He's just a couple miles down the road and and tell him the one who he loves, his very dear friend is sick. This isn't just another member of the crowd looking for a miracle. This isn't just somebody who's a nobody who needs a touch from Jesus. No, you've got to get to Jesus and you got to let him know that this is Lazarus. This is our brother. This is the one who he loves. And oh, how Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Remember Martha and Mary received Jesus into their home years before and Martha was preparing dinner and she was concerned with all the details of the house. And remember Mary just went and sat at Jesus' feet and Martha and Mary in a little argument. Martha's like, Mary, what's wrong with you? Come, aren't you gonna help me? And Mary's like, well, Jesus is here. And Jesus says, hey, There's a lot of things you can be worried about another time. Mary's doing the right thing here. In my marriage, (laughs) I am the Mary. Can anybody relate to that? Honey, the dishes can wait. It's sunny outside. But dear, it's sunny every day in Florida. Exactly. We'll just buy new dishes. Let them mold. Let's not be distracted by these trivial matters let's get out and enjoy life right that's me and if the world were left up to me it'd be very dirty but we would have a lot of fun (laughs) Mary's like hey Jesus is here Martha's like we got stuff to do and and Jesus spent time with this family he knew them he loved them he cared for them that's why Martha says when you get to Jesus you tell him this isn't just a somebody this is the one he loves Look at what happens next, verse four. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, no, Lazarus's sickness will not end in death. It happened for the glory of God so that the son of God will receive glory from this. And then look at what John gives. He gives us this context because this is gonna be so shocking what happens next. John's preparing us. He says, so although Jesus loved Martha, Mary and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days days. And this is so shocking that Jesus would not respond, would not go, would not heal, would not intervene, that John has to preface it for us by reminding us that Jesus does in fact love them. In fact, because he loves them, he waits. And so look at verse 7. So finally he says to his disciples, alright, it's time, let's go back over to Judea. But his disciples said, no, Rabbi, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? And Jesus said, there are 12 hours of daylight every day during the day. People can walk safely and they can see because they have the light of this world. But at night there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. Jesus is the light of the world. These people need the light. And so he says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. Now, If you've ever felt like you're not the sharpest knife in the drawer, spiritually speaking, let me bring some encouragement into your life. Am I talking to anybody today? The disciples say, oh Lord, well, if he's sleeping, if he's resting, he's going to get better. John here trying to help the disciples out. Well, they thought Jesus meant Lazarus was um, simply sleeping, right? And so look at verse 14. So Jesus tells them plainly, "Uh, boys, he (laughs) did. That's just kind of hitting the nail on the head, isn't it? I mean, like uh, he tried. He tried to put it graciously. They weren't picking up what he was putting down. If you've ever felt like you're not the sharpest knife in the drawer spiritually, be encouraged. Neither were the disciples. And so Jesus, like uh, boys, uh, let me. Uh, how can I say this any more plainly? He's dead. But it gets worse. The Jesus who delayed going to Bethany now says this, and for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now you will really believe. So come on, let's go see him. And Thomas, nicknamed the twins, said to his fellow disciples, Well, come on, let's go to you and die with Jesus. Now let's, let's just um, allow that to sink in here for a moment. That when Jesus was interrupted with the news that his friend, the one whom he loved, was on his deathbed, tragically untimely, on his deathbed because he loved them. He stayed where he was two days and let him die. And then said these words, I am glad. I am glad I wasn't there. Now let's not fast forward yet. Those of you who know the resolution to this You know, sometimes we read the scripture with the benefit of hopeful hindsight. Let's just let this settle for a moment because if we're honest, there are times we feel the same way Martha would have felt. You left me unread. You ghosted me and you're glad. Can you imagine if someone in your life had the means to help you in a moment of crisis and you contacted them and they ignored you and then when you saw them later on, they said, oh yeah, oh yeah, I'm glad I wasn't there. I don't think we would be friends much longer after that. Jesus stays where he was, lets Lazarus die and then says to his disciples, and of course this is gonna get out, in fact, Newsflash, it got out, recorded in the scriptures by John. That he said, I'm glad I wasn't there for your sake. And in these moments where we're ghosted, in these moments where Jesus leaves us unread, there's some things we need to understand. Oh man, I hope this connects with you today. It's so important. First of all, listen to me carefully. God's love is not always obvious in his actions. God's love is not always obvious in his actions. You cannot always judge God's love based on his actions or sometimes frankly, his inaction. We know this is true on a human level. It's also true at a divine level. Let me give you an example. Years ago when my youngest daughter was little, She's, by the way, very allergic to tree nuts. And we were at a place where she accidentally ingested some tree nuts. Didn't know it. She went into anaphylactic shock. In a matter of minutes, we found ourselves in an ambulance with her, headed to the children's hospital. They, they ushered her in. They, they, they got her immediately into a room. I'm still caught up in the whirlwind of this, not really knowing how serious it is this was kind of a new experience for us and I was sitting there as the father with her of course the entire time thinking that is so nice for them to get us right in and can I just say to those of you who are medical professionals how much we lowly normal people appreciate how you treat life and death situations very normally so that those of us who are dumb and stupid don't freak out And I mean, here I am with my daughter in a critical situation. There are multiple nurses. The doctor is there immediately. We get her right into her room. They're caring for her. I'm just the whole time like, this is so cool. I didn't have to wait for a room and it's great. I'm like, man, these people are so nice and they're just so nice to me. And here's what we're gonna do. And the whole time they know she's critical, which they later told me because I'm like the disciples, I'm stupid. And, And so, but in the moment, right? I'm just, I'm trying to get, it was just, you know, you're so concerned and you're just, I'm focused on her, I'm a dad. And I'm trying to comfort her and it all happened so fast, I didn't get to do what parents normally get to do, bribe our children in medical situations. Now just, we're gonna go to the hospital and they're gonna check you out. You be brave, you be a good girl and daddy's gonna get you all the ice cream you want. There was no time for bribery. And so I'm there with her and I'm just focused on her. And when they got her into the room, they had to get to work and getting to work for medical professionals, always involves sharp objects. And that medical professionals is where my appreciation for you comes to an end. <laughs> Why you always gotta poke us with stuff? Why? And so my daughter's lying there, there's just this, I mean, massive amount of attention on her. It's a little bit overwhelming in the moment. And then they came at her with the needles. And they had to give her life-saving medications. They had to get an IV started. And my little daughter's there, and she doesn't know what's happening more than I do, really. And we know she's critical, and she's serious, at least. And, I mean, you know, so, but then um, I'll never forget the look on her face when she realized in a moment where I had to hold her down. that her father was no longer a means of comfort. He was an accomplice. (laughs) Any parent ever been an accomplice? Am I talking to anybody today? Have you ever, parents, have you ever seen that look of betrayal on the face of your child? I'll never forget it. I had to hold her down. I didn't get a chance to bribe her. I didn't get a chance to prep her. I didn't get a chance to tell her what was going to happen. Man, we were just in the moment. And um, I didn't come toward her to help her in the way that she thought her father would help her. I came to hold her down. And it was tough. But she's here today and she's going to college in two weeks. Still costing me money. I not know. Now, that's easy to understand as a parent. You know when it's hard to understand? You're the patient. And you've messaged your heavenly father routinely, your father that you've called out to, your father that you believe loves you and has your best interest in mind, but all of a sudden it seems to you that he's not a means of comfort. Somehow in his silence, he's an accomplice. And so let me remind you of this truth, dear one. You cannot always judge God's love on his actions. Sometimes he allows things in your life. Sometimes he leaves you on unread, so it seems, because he loves you. And he's preparing to do something great in your life. You know why this is so hard for us to process? Not just the human nature aspect of, you know, the shock of having your father as an accomplice, but you know what, frankly, our culture. You know what our culture leads us to believe? That if you're a good enough person and you're a good enough Christ follower and you do your very best and, and you come to church and, 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 and you read your Bible and, and you memorize some scripture and you listen to Christian music and you get your worship on and your praise on, then, then these things aren't gonna happen to you. And if you're a good person, you're a good Christian, you're going to be prosperous and you're going to be blessed and you're not going to have trials and you're not going to have a, a tragedy in your life. You know, that's what our culture's telling us. That's what the health and wealth gospel is pushing to us. And in a prosperous culture that we live in, it's so easy for people to fall into that where we think that you know if we're good enough and faithful enough and obedient enough and righteous enough well, we're not going to have that stuff that stuff happens to people that aren't walking closely with the Lord and our culture's pushing this and cramming this down our throats and then when we face tragedy and hardship and trial and and we go through these hard times we kind of look up like God what in the world that's not the deal the deal is I love you I'm following you you're supposed to give me prosperity that's the deal man that's what I read 15 years ago in the prayer of Jabez anybody remember the prayer of Jabez some of you got that book on your shelf fine people we buy into this the Greek word is crapola that's the Greek word You know know what the prayer of Jabez is? Prayer of Jabez, oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. You know what the problem with the prayer of Jabez is as it's been presented to our culture? The Bible. The record of human history. Hey, I got an idea for you. When you meet Joseph in the new heavens and a new earth one day, I want you to walk up to him and drop this on him. Hey, bro. Did you not read the prayer at Jabez? When your brothers were coming at you, did you not believe by faith that the Lord would bless you and enlarge your territory? And make sure you let me know when you're going to say that to him, because I want to see what happens. I got an idea for you. How about you go to Job and drop a little prayer at Jabez on Job. Hey, Job, remember when your kids died? And you went through unspeakable grief for years. Bro, did you not read the prayer of Jabez? How about you drop that on the Apostle Paul? Bro, when you were beaten, imprisoned, shipwrecked, shamed, did you not read the prayer of Jabez? You know what we do sometimes in our, in our prosperous culture? We take what's exceptional in human history and we try to make it normal. And not everything that's exceptional is normal. Can I tell you what is normal? What the scriptures prepare us for from start to finish, that in this world, you will have trouble. That as broken people in a broken world, you're gonna encounter hardship that sometimes it's not your fault. Your bodies are gonna fail because they're broken. You're gonna get old. One day you're gonna be reading your Bible and you're like, man, God's word is blurry. Oh, there it is. That means you need to graduate life groups because you are no longer a young adult. And some of you, you're in a life group right now, the median age is 112. And you come out here to the lobby and you're inviting people to come to your young adult life group. You're only young in your mind. Because everybody in your life group is carrying a large print Bible, but the people you're inviting don't even know what that is. And you know what's gonna happen? They're gonna be ghosting you. Because they don't wanna be in a large print Bible life group. Your body's gonna fail, gonna break down. We're gonna have tragedy, hardship, untimely death. It's, we live in a broken world. You know what the scripture teaches us start to finish? We see it in Joseph. We see it in Job. We see it in David. We see it in Paul. We see it in Peter. We see it in Jesus. In this world, you will have great trouble. Am I talking to anybody today? Come on. Am I the only one that has trouble? Am I the only one with hardship? Am I the only one broken over the tragedy in this world? Come on. In this world, you're going to have trouble. And you can pray the prayer of Jabez all day long. It is no guarantee that as a man or a woman who's a child of God, that you're going to be trouble free. Hebrews 11, the great hall of faith. We don't ever read up to this point. So let me just break this down for you a little bit, all right? Let me give you a little bit of Hebrews 11 that you don't memorize. You ready for this? Check this out. After the list, the hall of faith. Oh, we're so encouraged. Yep, check this out. All these people died, <clears throat> they did. But they died still believing what God had promised them. Now, watch this. They did not receive what was promised. But they saw it from a distance and they welcomed it. And they agreed that they were all foreigners and nomads here on this earth. The earth is not our home. Amen. This is not our home. God's promises are ultimately filled, not here, but in the eternal state to come. And so they agreed that they were foreigners and nomads on this earth. Verse 14, obviously people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. For if they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back. Abraham didn't have to follow in faith, but he did. But they were looking, look at this, for a better place. A heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared a city for them. And they didn't receive it here, but by God's grace, they've received it now. Amen? They've received it now. And you will too. And so in those moments when you cannot clearly discern God's love by his actions, Let me remind you that just before our deliverance, we may experience God's delay. And in those moments, you cannot always judge God's love by his actions or his inaction, but he loves you. Can I give you the ultimate demonstration that God loves you? He sent his son Jesus to die in your place for your sin. And he was raised on the third day the crucifixion of Jesus is the absolute guarantee that your father loves you, that he will never leave you or abandon you. Listen to me, listen to me. Put down the prayer of Jabez and pick up the death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus. And anchor your life to what the Apostle Paul says are the things of first importance. Not that God's always gonna bless you. Not that God's always gonna prosper you. Not that God is always going to expand your territory. Here's what Paul said is of first importance. That Jesus died, was buried, and rose from the dead. And in those moments when you feel like Jesus has ghosted you. Remember, you can't always judge his love by his actions, but you can judge his love by what he's done in Jesus. He will never leave you or forsake you. Romans 5.8, God showed his great love for us in this by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Am I talking to anybody today? So God's delay often precedes his deliverance, okay? And in those moments of delay, remember his love is not always discerned by his action or his inaction. We tether our faith to the promises yet to be fulfilled, finally fulfilled, and the work of Jesus, the finished work of Jesus on the cross and in the resurrection, all right? So then secondly, just, just write this down. <laughs> Whew, all right, we're gonna go fast now. You ready for this? Just jot this down, Okay. So here's, here's how we respond in these delays. Saving faith endures. Saving faith endures when Jesus is late to the party. I want to encourage you today to endure. Let me show you what happens when Jesus finally gets to Bethany. All right, we're going to wrap it up here. I just want you to see here what happens when Jesus gets back. Verse 17, when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave for four days. Of course, he knew this. Bethany was only a few miles down the road in Jerusalem, right? And so many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary and their loss. And when Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. She went outside their house. She goes out to the gate. She, she, she's, Jesus didn't even make it inside. She goes out to meet him. And here's what she says to Jesus. Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Sometimes we think, oh man, boy, Martha really let him have it. I don't think so. I think for sure there was great grief and perhaps some angst over Jesus' delay. But by what happens next, we know she's a woman of faith because look at this. She says, but even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. She's not asking Jesus to bring him back from the dead because she's not even processing that he can do that in the moment. This is just a statement of faith. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I just want you to know, I still believe in you. And I believe that your father will give you whatever you ask. Jesus, even though you didn't come, when I asked you to come, even when you left my messages unread, I just want you to know I still believe in you. And look at what Jesus says to her. He says, verse 23, your brother will rise again. She says, no, I know. I know he'll rise when everyone else rises at the, on the last day. Jesus says, no, 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 Martha, Martha, I am the resurrection in the and anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. And everyone who lives in me, he says, will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? And here's what I want to say. I don't think she was scolding Jesus. Here's what she says. She says, yes, Lord, yes, I believe this. I believe, I've always believed, you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who's come into the world from God. She believed. Her faith endured. And of course you know what happens And Jesus goes to the tomb and he calls Lazarus forth and he raises him from the dead and people come to faith in Christ because of that. But then there are some who accelerate their hatred of him and they eventually put him on a cross because of it. But what about those moments when we're Mary and Martha and we're grieving and we're weeping and we feel like Jesus has left us on unread Man, we get this notion when we're worshiping together, we're getting our praise on and we are celebrating the goodness of God. Man, we get this impression, well, that's what you have to do as a Christian. No, you know what? Sometimes you're on your knees weeping. Sometimes you're feeling the angst of Mary and Martha. Sometimes you have that grief that goes unanswered. Sometimes you've called out to Jesus and you feel like he's ghosted you and you're not singing what everybody else is singing. Hey, can I just keep it real? Because some of you are new to Christianity come in and you think, oh, these Christians always praise and always happy. No, we're not. Sometimes we're deeply broken. Sometimes we deeply grieve. Sometimes we, we, we ask why. And we sing songs like this. You're never gonna let, you're never gonna let me down except for last year when you let my brother die. Sometimes we sing songs like this. All my life you have been faithful except when I did everything right and I still got laid off. Now I'm looking for a job. Sometimes we sing, it's not well. It's not well with my soul. And if you're a Christ follower and you're sitting there like, well, I would never sing anything like that. Well, you're a hypocrite. Oh, did I say that too abruptly? I'm sorry. Let me say that in a nicer. You're a hypocrite. Is that better? Come on. Has anyone felt that? Anyone been so grieved, overwhelmed, angry, frustrated that you couldn't even sing? And maybe sometimes even you came to church, but you were so upset and so overwhelmed and so confused that you couldn't muster the energy to sing. Because if you're honest, I know you would never admit this in church, so let me admit this for you. If you could sing, you would sing, it's not well with my soul, Jesus, because you ghosted me. You wouldn't sing, you've never let me down, because I feel like you have let me down. All my life you've been faithful, except for recently, And I just want to remove the pretense that says, well, if you just do everything right, God's going to prosper you and expand your territory. No, you know what? Sometimes you might do everything right, and God's going to allow some things in your life to grow you and mature you because he has a greater plan and purpose for you. And, and I got news for you. That greater plan and purpose is ultimately going to be filled in the new heavens and the new earth because that's where our citizenship dwells. And there may be days here that are hard. And there may be moments where like Martha, you say, Jesus, oh Jesus. If you had just shown up when I called, this wouldn't have happened. And I want you to hear Jesus' loving response to you and the hope that you and I have today, because we have hope. Here's Jesus saying in your deepest moment of grief, I am the resurrection and the life. And I love you and I care for you and I'm with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Let me leave you with a good word of hope today. Are you ready for this? Because this is what John is communicating. What Jesus does for Lazarus, he will do for every single one of us. What Jesus does for Lazarus, he's gonna do for you. Do you believe that today? There is coming a day when Jesus is going to break through the clouds and he's going to call his children home and we are going to be resurrected from the grave or we're going to meet the Lord in the air and we're going to get our glorified bodies that won't break down and we're going to get our our glorified bodies that are made without sin to be with Jesus forever and we're going to have a little family reunion and we're going to worship and we're going to work and we're going to serve and we're going to rejoice and we're going to praise forever and ever and ever. That's our hope. And so right now, in our waiting, just know this, your Jesus loves you. And he never leaves any message unread. And just because you don't get an immediate response doesn't mean the message is unread. He hears. He knows. He's with you. He's for you. And his intentions towards you are good. I don't know if you've noticed this. <laughs> Lazarus ain't no longer with us. You know what happened to Lazarus? No, he fell asleep. Come on, that's pretty good. He fell I try to put it delicately and y'all want the disciples version. Yes, he died. But his resurrection happened for our benefit that we might know in the moments of God's delay, that our deliverance is coming and that we serve a God who will raise the dead finally And forever. We will rule and reign with Him. Death and tragedy will be abolished, and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so like Martha, be honest with Jesus, but don't let that faith waver. He is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and He is the hope of the world. And so I'm going to ask you to stand with me today. Here's what we're going to do. (laughs) We're going to sing as we leave here. Are you ready for this? The goodness of God. And I just want you to know right now in this moment that Bell Shoals family is here for you. I'm going to head back to the lobby and I'd love to pray with you today, connect with you today, encourage you today if there's a need but I just want us to just to prayerfully declare this together that our God is good and his mercy endures forever. Amen. And I want you to know it's okay if you're in a season of life right now where you can't sing all my life, you have been faithful. It's okay that you can't sing it. I still want you to hear it because it's true. And I have no doubt that through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Lord will bring you back to a place where you can sing those words again. And so let it wash over your soul. Let us reflect together that all of our lives, the Lord has been and will be faithful. And all of our lives, He has been so, so good.